Okay, we're locked and loaded, so here we go. Welcome to Listen Closely. I am John, out here on the East Coast, and I'm joined by the West End boy himself, uh, Chris. Chris, how's everything going out there in uh, three hours behind my world? Uh, things are good. Things are good. Uh, you know, just living through the quarantine, and uh, that's about it. What more can you ask for? So... This episode is is particularly exciting. I mean, they're all exciting. Let's face it. At least to us, they are. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. They're probably not excited exciting for anyone else. Um, <laughs> this one in particular, because I feel like we're really straying here. You know, the the first five episodes have been albums that I think were universally believed to have significance in the course of uh, popular music and uh, whether you liked every song in them or not, it's a different story, but for the most part, they were all critically acclaimed and they were all by artists who really have had a long run. Um, This episode's a little bit different and uh, we're probably going to raise a few eyebrows uh, from the, you know, seven people now who listen. Are we up to seven? Uh, I we well judging by the analytics of of uh, anchor, we are up to seven. I mean, we're on like four different podcast sites, so right, right. You do the math. That's less than one listener per site, and really, I think <laughs> two of the seven listeners are speaking right now. So you know, uh, but listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. No, no. And I'm, I'm particularly excited for this one for all the reasons you said. I, I think this is a real sleeper of an album, uh, but an amazing one. Well, with that in mind, you do the honors. Because I, I would go on for 90 minutes just introing it. So, <laughs> please. Uh, we're doing the New Radicals. Uh, maybe you've been brainwashed, too. Their only album from was it 1997? What it was released in October of 1998. 98. Okay. So some general thoughts from you on this, this sleeper masterpiece. It's incredible. It's a real Trojan horse of an album um, in that on the surface, I think it seems to be one thing. um, But when you get deeper down into it, it's a totally different thing. You know, this album, the big hit off of it, um, of course, was, uh, you get what you, you get. Give. What you give, right? Which was very upbeat and had, um, you know, some sort of inspirational in some ways. I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the lyrics there. Um, it was a real. You're down on your knees. Is that the one you're thinking? Well... Of? <laughs> no, but then towards the end, it's very. You know, you get what you give, and uh, you've got a reason to live. You've got a reason to live. It's very hopeful. That is. Um, and that's kind of what people know it for, this, this up-tempo, upbeat sound. Um, and a lot of the album has that sound, but underneath it, whether it's in the lyrics um, or what have you, very dark, uh, very yep. dark. A lot, of, a lot of substance abuse, first off. Yes. Um, a lot of disillusionment, uh, alienation, um, and just just an album of somebody I think trying to fit into a world that they don't fit into. So in other words, it's all the elements for a perfect album. Really? I yeah. mean, what do you think about it? Uh, I describe it in a word as schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. 
because I feel as though there you hit the hammer on the nail. You get what you give is largely upbeat. It sounds upbeat. The lyrics have a, a strangely positive message, but, and there are a couple other songs on the album as well that are, I think, equally upbeat. But my God, does it take some dark turns. Um, it's, a, it's a wild ride. And for me, and I've said this to you before, uh, the album is a deeply personal one. And uh, that seems a little startling. And it's not as though it, it, it's not as though there was this giant moment in my life uh, that happened to coincide with this album. There's some stuff which we'll get to a little later on, but it's not as though I, you know, beat a heroin addiction. I've never done heroin in my life, incidentally, or any hard drugs. Uh, but it's not as though, you know, I, I was in a rehab when, when this album came out and it helped me through that. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is for me, this album is the true definition of a sentimental favorite. And I truly believe in the power of music to take us back to a certain time and place. And for me, this album does that unlike any other album that I know of oh. as crazy as it seems. And, and again, we'll get to that a little later, but you know, it's, it's unfair that, the new radicals in this album are, are lumped into one hit wonder power pop rock of the late nineties. But I'd be willing to bet that tonight after we end this podcast, if you were to go on Pandora or Google music or whoever, and you were to create a streaming radio station just by giving them, you get what you give as, as the, the song to start it, uh, you'd likely end up with sex and candy by Marcy playground. Closing Time by Semisonic, Flagpole Sitter by Harvey Danger. And I don't know. I tend to think those artists were kind of one hit wonder throwaway. But New Radicals, for me, were, were so much more. And Greg Alexander is just one hell of a songwriter. And for my money, and I'm going to say this right now, this album stands as one of the best of the 1990s. I think so. And I think it's more than just a sentimental you know, I think to say it's your, your sentimental, one of your favorites is, uh, that may be true, but it is as much as one can get objective about these things, a really great album. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that they do on here that are, I think, really unconventional. Um, you know, it's, it's very much, I think, written by someone who was raised on the idea that cliched love songs and stories are real but found out the hard way that all too often they're not. Absolutely. And I couldn't have said it better. Wow. There's this constant tension where you can almost feel them on the album trying to squeeze into these pre-made sort of love song forms, but they keep like bleeding out on the sides with this absurdity and uh, angst <laughs> that just won't fit in there. And it's, it's really, it's really smart. And uh, I think it's just a fantastic album. It really is. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's absurdity. It's angst. It's, it's chock full of, of, of both of that, both of those rather. And I used the, the word disillusionment about 50 times last during last week's podcast. So disillusionment's great. Yeah. What, what should disillusionment we we, but give me a good synonym for it. Disenfranchisement? Dis, disenfra that sounds more like we're voting. Um, okay. Uh, uh, I don't know. 
Would alienation? Do you think that would? Uh, okay, that's a little different, but. I think in a, in, a, in a perfect example of art copying life, uh, Greg Alexander makes this album that's filled with alienation. and Not to be confused with the Alienation TV show from the on Fox, late yeah. 80s with Mandy Patinkin, right? And do you remember, and I don't want to get too off course here, but some of those alien women were kind of hot. They were like, the bumpy, a, weird heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was, what, like 12, 13? I would think any woman was hot at the time. But, it's true. It's true. Uh, it's for another podcast. Yeah, once we've gone through all the albums, we'll, we'll do an alienation <laughs> podcast. But, uh, but no, I think uh, in the perfect classic example of, of life copying art, Greg Alexander, chief songwriter for the band, lead singer for the band, producer, visionary for the band, um, becomes so alienated and disenfranchised <laughs> and burned from the success of you get what you give. And rumor has it, he, the legend has it that he locked himself in his basement and refused to go on tour. And then in July of 99, less than a year after the album's released, right after the second single, Someday We'll Know, is released, right after they shoot the video for Someday We'll Know, he says, that's it. The band's done. I don't want this life. And, you know, he felt alienated. He didn't want the rock star life. And so for the last 20 plus years, this band has been considered a one hit wonder when we're not for alienation. We're not for him getting burnt out. Maybe drugs had something to do with that. I don't know. Uh, but we're not for none of that. We wouldn't be talking about these guys as a, as a one hit wonder, in my opinion. And I think for me, one of the most amazing things about it is he is Greg Alexander is unashamed in the way he pays homage to 70s rockers, uh, both in the production, in the song stylings and largely in his vocals. And, and listening to this album so much as I have, particularly over the last week, I hear first and foremost so much Todd Rundgren in him, hmm. uh, both in the production style and just vocally. And then when he hits those falsetto, falsetto uh, notes, which he does so well, I hear Jeff Lynn from ELO. Uh, he's got that, that blue-eyed soul thing sometimes that Daryl Hall sort of perfected. Mm -hmm. And there are times, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even say, where his phrasing and vocal stylings can sound a little bit like Jagger, uh, mm -hmm. particularly on Jehovah Made This Joint For You. Give that a listen. And it's got this real swaggering, seductive uh, '70s Mick Jagger thing going for it. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can, I can hear that. And talking about other artists, you know, it's interesting. I always talk a little bit. We always uh, go on and on about critical reception. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about that tonight because the critics didn't all have great things to say about it, except Entertainment Weekly, who gave the album an A minus upon its release. They called it filler free. Which, okay, I, I would agree with that. But then they, they also went on to praise the album's positive messages. Uh, <laughs> which was rather interesting. <laughs> That's absurd. I, I'm surprised that the critics didn't like it more because it is so smart. I think now they like it. I think at the time they didn't. They didn't get it. But I'll tell you who did get it. A lot of famous artists of the time. Uh, in fact, I pulled a few quotes here. Joni Mitchell, the one and only Joni Mitchell, said in a 2002 Rolling Stone interview, 
the only thing I heard in many years that I thought had greatness in it was the new radicals. And she said that the band, this, this quote is amazing, rose from the swamp of Mick music, like a flower of hope. Wow. In an interview just a few years ago, you two's the edge said that you get what you give was the one song he had wished he had written. Um, and perhaps in the greatest example of, of, um, Imitation being the sincerest form of flattery on their 2002 album, Do It For Love, Daryl Hall and John Oates would cover Someday We'll Know. And they do it as a duo or I guess a trio or a menage a trois with none other than Todd Rundgren as a guest vocalist. Wow. So what does that tell you? I mean, everything really comes full circle there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, no, please go on. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, were you able to find in the deer a low point of the album? It's tough. It's tough. But I think if I have to pick one, I'm going to go with Technicolor Lover. Um, it's third from the end. Um, it's not a bad song. It's it's kind of this typical upbeat. It is very catchy. Um, I just think at that point in the album, it kind of doesn't fit. You know, they've at that point had a couple songs like In Need of a Miracle, Gotta Stay High. Uh, they're about to get into Flowers, Crying Like a Church on Monday, which is such a great title for a song. Absolutely. Um, Beautiful it's a, song. It's a pretty heavy part of the album. And I think that kind of, it just doesn't quite fit there for me. Um but again, I don't think it's a bad song by any means. I think it's the worst song on the album, but it's, it's not a bad song. Um, so I, I know what you mean. I didn't choose it as my Nadir, though, interestingly enough. What would you pick? Um, well, it's interesting because I, I don't think there's a bad song on the album. So I felt guilty trying to really single one out. And Technicolor Lover, I think, is the weakest song on the album, but I don't think it's bad. Um, for me, the low point is that anytime I listen to the album, and it's been often over the years, uh, there's too many what ifs that go through my mind. And what if he didn't decide to break up the band in July of 99? What if he didn't lose his mind a little bit? What did this guy and this band, what would the road ahead have been like for them? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he goes on, Greg Alexander goes on to write and produce songs for Rod Stewart. Santana, that's, that song was huge. The Game of Love, which featured Michelle Branch on vocals. Um, he, wrote and, he wrote and produced a song for In Excess. Now think about that for a moment, because Hutchins died in 97. But do you remember that In Excess did an album with a new lead singer who had won that reality series competition? Yeah, of course. So they do that in 2005, and there's a song on there called Remember Who's Your Man. And it's actually a really really good song and it's got all the trademark greg alexander um, elements to it and in greg alexander even gets an oscar nomination for lost stars a song he wrote for the movie begin again which was sung by adam levine in 2014 so this guy has had a quarter century career of doing incredible things but it's still for me it's that what if what if he could have kept the band going and, and that to me is the Nadir because it bothers the hell out of me all these years later. And, and here's an interesting thing. 
let's let's do a little uh, imagination here. They released two songs from the album. You get what you give, which is huge. Someday we'll know, which never stands a chance because the band doesn't really promote it. They split up. If they had stuck together, what do you think would have been the third single? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think maybe Crying Like a Church on Monday or Gotta Stay High. You know, it's tough. And I, I've researched to see if there was anything planned. I can't find it. I would go with Flowers. Flowers, you think? I don't know. It's so tough to say. Flowers is good, but I don't know. I think it might be Gotta Stay High. I mean, that one is like infectious. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's too short, but I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. We'll never know. Someday we'll never know. It's, it is sad. I mean, you know, it does sort of add some mystique um, to the album, I think, but that hasn't really caught on in uh, the mainstream consideration of this album. Um, Agreed. You know, and was he, I mean, there's so much, we've touched on it a little bit, but the song is littered with drug references. I mean, some songs are just entirely about doing drugs. Um, oh, the whole album. Yeah. yeah. Um, was that part of I mean, part what was going on with him? Oh, I think so. I mean, there's a, there's a line about shooting a porno film for Coke. It's a tremendous line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the album. What's the lyric that opens the album? And it's not sung. <laughs> the, the spoken word. Uh, make my nipples hard. Let's go. Yeah, um, that sets and, and it, you know I, I'm big on opening opening songs that we've discussed before. I mean, Actum Baby with <clears throat> Zoo Station, uh, Sticky sure. Sticky Fingers, starting off with um, Brown Sugar, Brown you know, Sugar. and this yeah. Mother We Just Can't Get Enough opens this album, <laughs> and it is a classic kind of upbeat, incredibly catchy, just ropes you in song. But it's perfect too because that that part, piece at the beginning the make my nipples hard let's go it it's so indicative about what you're get, about to get into in that it's it's going to be wrapped up in this great package this really beautiful package but it's going to have these rough edges that are that just don't fit in to say the least yeah and I, anytime i hear mother we just can't get enough i just imagine like in my head i picture bell ringing on the last day of school for like a bunch of 16 17 year olds and just like a mass exodus from the high school, it's a beautiful sunny day, and they all just pile into each other's cars and go off and smoke weed and drink and screw down at the beach. <laughs> it's just this like this ultimate like rebellious teenage sound. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's the, the energy of that song. And you're right; it, it's just the ideal way to start the album. It is, and it's such a summer album, summer song, and a summer album. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. it just has that. Uh, windows down, top down, uh, vibes. Absolutely. Like, yeah. What's your sleeper moment? My sleeper moment. I am a huge the, the song that sometimes you're you're down with, sometimes you skip over, sometimes it surprises you. This for me, it's the title track. Maybe you've been brainwashed too. Um, yeah, good song. I, I love it. It has this real sleazy bass line to it. Um, but there is so so much beyond, behind this song. Um, you know, the, the lyrics are almost unintelligible. Um, Which is probably a good thing. Right. And, but it's, it's because the lyrics don't really even matter on this song. The actual lyrics, if you look at the liner notes, it's basically Greg Alexander, a kind of a polemic 
about his views on society. It has nothing to do with the song. It's, uh, it's just this long sort of screed talking about everything from the media to uh, stock markets and the financial system. Um, you know, it, just to give you a little, a little, like one clip from it here. Uh, good Christian families, then why condone petty hatred of anything different or new? The fat girl hung herself in June. No love at home. They thought she was strong. Her classmates made her up, made up her own song. Piggy Peggy ate everyone's pie. So he's getting into like bullying. And again, it has nothing to do with the song. But at the end, you realize what it's all about. The song ends, first accept one simple truth that maybe we've been brainwashed too. So cynical, so hip, so full of shit. They told us to shut the fuck up and write another hit. So essentially what happened is they made this song, which is an incredibly catchy, um, like I said, kind of sleazy, but sort of hoppy song where you can't really understand the words. So you go to the liner notes and you get not the words to the song, but his take on the world. (laughs) And, you know, not for nothing, if he wrote a song called Piggy Penny about a fat chick... (laughs) I would totally listen to it. I'd listen to anything that this guy wrote. Um, Absolutely. I just love that song. No, I never really paid close attention to the lyrics all these years. So that was really a revelation right there. Um, But wow. And it, yeah, it it almost stands out being considerably different than, than the rest of the songs on the album. But I think that's a great choice for sleeper. What do you got? I went with don't want to die anymore. Uh, I believe that's the fourth track. And I used to find the song, if for no other reason, just the title to be you know, more than a bit melodramatic. Mm. But the more I've listened to it over the years, I find that the song has its moments. In particular, it's that repetitive, haunting falsetto that just goes, gonna rain, gonna rain. Mm. I'm not going to do the falsetto right now. Thank but, you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's a, it's a very sad song. I think, again, it's a song about drug abuse. And um, it, again, it's the sleeper moment. It's not, to me, the best song on the album. There's times when I skip over it. There's times when I absolutely love it. So I, I think it, for me, is the very definition of, uh, of sleeper. And uh, it's a difficult one. What would be your zenith? How about you? I always go first. How about you want to go first on this one? Sure. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a song that you mentioned earlier. And, um, and this was tough for me because I was legitimately torn between two or three songs. But ultimately, I went with uh, track eight, which is Gotta Stay High. Mm. And uh, for me, that song is three minutes of pure power pop perfection. It just is so damn infectious. And Greg Alexander gives us more hooks in three minutes with that song than like U2 has on, on all five of their last studio albums <laughs> combined. It, it just, it's, it's melodically very simple. Starts off with the piano, the acoustic guitar cuts in. Uh, it, it's not anything overly elaborate. It's just so infectious. And it's just such a, for me, it's just such a rush. It, it's an adrenaline rush before the album gets really dark. At the end. It is, yeah, yeah. And it's, that's to me, because it is so infectious, I, I could really, 
really see that having been the, the third single if they had kept going with that album promoting it you may be right um but yeah it's it's a it's a good pick maybe not the best pick but it's a good pick all right well, well I, I now i want to know what the best pick is apparently <laughs> so i'm gonna go this is this song is uh it's so wild and out there i hope i i, I know I what you're I going with. just give away the ending yes um, <laughs> which was my i almost went with that as my uh my zenith <laughs> you know it i think it represents this album in that it's packaged in this beautiful melodic tune most of it is um you know that and it it has the guise of a love song you know if you're not like really carefully listening to it you think it's this a sweet love song but when you really listen to the lyrics what this song is about first off it begins with kind of this it's kind of this whiny like uh love-worn uh, vocal that it's almost like he's he's trying to force himself to sing a typical love song and he kind of goes through it a little bit and then at some point as you know he just go he just bursts out and he just goes shut up and he, but the shut up is very subtle in the background if you're not listening closely you'll miss yeah. it yeah and then the real song kicks exactly which, which is basically about him and this girl they they fake their way onto a handicapped bus <laughs> by faking a limp. Uh, they go downtown. They want to score some cocaine. They don't have any money. So um, the dealer tells them, as you mentioned before, it's one of the, the great lines ever. Um, we, we, oh, I had it right here. Oh, my God. We made a porno film for Coke. I hear I'm big in Japan. I hear I'm big in Japan. Um, And then after that, it just gets more twisted. They go back to her house. They put the Coke in a can. The girl's father comes. Tie up a TV minister. Yeah. Yeah. Then the girl's father walks in, pours a cup of coffee, thinks that the cocaine is sugar or sweet and low because he's off of sugar, uh, dies dead on the floor. Then you go on, she's upset, but she steals her dad's wallet. They drive to the hospital to sell all of his donatable body parts. The girl dies there. She steals more <laughs> drugs off of a junkie who comes in. I mean, it, it's if you just read the lyrics, it is a brutal, horrifying song. And it's, it's packaged in this, this beautiful kind of upbeat melody. And I think that that is so what this album is all about is this guy who has been raised on these melodic, beautiful love songs that tell you everything's going to be okay and you're going to find the perfect person. And he's found in his life that that's not true. And, and this ends, you know, by the end of this, he sort of is wailing and it ends. I don't even love you. We weren't even friends. It's just that I can't take it alone. You know, and and listen, maybe we all can't relate to selling a loved one's body parts uh, after they've died. Someday, maybe. You never know where these things go. But I think we can all relate to the idea that, you know, our own lives just don't fit into that Hollywood uh, mumbo jumbo that we've been sold forever. Um, And that's That's what this song really does for me. It really it, it underneath it is this this pain and anguish. But it's wrapped up in this gorgeous, catchy pa- uh, package. 
I'm going to ask you this, even though I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Uh, do you feel that the album captures the zeitgeist of the era? And if so, how well? Yeah, you know, I think it does. I think it does. I do too. Um, the, just the sound of it, I think, really fits in. But it also is somehow timeless. Agreed. You know, Agreed. It, it, it's rooted in that, that late 90s power pop slash what I always refer to as meth rock. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's very similar to, to Third yeah. Eye Blind, for yeah. example. But it's, you know, I, I'm a Third Eye Blind fan, particularly the first two albums. Um, but this, this album's deeper. I think this album is a little more timeless. It, it's got the, it's, it's got longevity. It can, it can stand the test of time, I think. I do too. And just not just the depth of it, but just the sound of it. There's something about the sound, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that mid to late nineties gets into this really kind of, um, to me, it's just like all squeezed out of any, of any emotion in a way. It's, it's kind of like blah and grating, you know, I think it comes out of grunge, but almost like tangential to that. Um, sure. But this has, this has a sound that just kind of keeps going. It's so infectious. Um, it just doesn't seem dated at all to me. Do you have any particular memories associated with the album or any pop culture references that uh, resonate with you all these years later for the album? Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really get into this album until it was probably 2005, 2006 um, when you turned me on to it, I believe. Um, and it was the summer, of course. And yeah, it was 06, I think. Yeah. That um, and it is just like we said before, it's the perfect summer album. And I can remember just driving around, blasting this with the windows down. Um, you know, it's, it's an album that pretty much every, every summer I'll come back to uh, because of that. There's something so upbeat and catchy about it. Um, how about you? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And this is where I, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a, a tangent here, but uh you know, the album's released in the fall of 98, and I like what I hear. I, I only hear the, the two singles, really. I don't really get to know the rest of the album. But um, in the summer of 2000, and I think it was early August of 2000, so it's a year after the band splits, almost two years after the album's released, I'm, I'm having a really weird summer, and I'm at a bit of a crossroads. First and foremost, I graduated college, which was a miracle in and of itself, but you know the feeling of, of you graduate college and you think, Christ, what's mm. next? Um, on top of that, and you know me, I live for summer and summer living. Uh, I'm stricken with mono. Mm. So that derails me for, for the large part of the summer. Uh, the weather from late July into early August that year, I'll never forget it, even though it's 20 years later, was constantly unsettled. Just, just clouds almost every day, humid, rainy. And my college girlfriend and I, we call it quits. Mm. So all this happens. And she was probably questioning where I got the mono from. But that's, you know, that's, uh, that's for another, because she didn't have mono. Oh, so that, that's, that's, for another, uh, that's for another podcast. You filmed but, a uh, porno film for drugs. Yeah. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going through, a, you know, I don't want to say a, a terrible time, but a bit of a rough patch. Uh, largely because of the graduating college. And uh, one day I'm out visiting a friend of mine uh, who, who's uh, the general manager of a store and actually a store where I used to work. And 
I'm in the store and I hear the song and I look at him. His name's Chris. And I said, Chris, my God, what is this? This is incredible. And he goes, Johnny, this is the new radicals. You got to listen to the whole CD. And the song was got to stay high. And uh, I left the store and I went to the nearest CD store. Remember they used to have those (laughs) on every corner uh, to buy the album. And I listened to the album on repeat. And suddenly I had that CD with me everywhere I went for the next several weeks in my car, at the beach, at home. And it became like a manifesto of sorts for me, but not in a, not like a dark, creepy way, like Mark David Chapman reading Catcher in the Rye outside the Dakota waiting to gun down John Lennon. Like, it, 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 for me, it, there's something about it that just resonates with me so much. And it, it's strange. But within the next few weeks of buying that album and incessant listening, I bounce back from the mono. I get my energy back. I'm offered a job, a job which I will ultimately take, except uh, the weather becomes perfect for like the next month there's wall-to-wall sunshine and i start to go out and tear up the town on a on a regular basis almost nightly basis meeting all sorts of women having a great time uh expanding my group of friends and i'm not saying that this happened because of the album but what i am saying is that this album will forever be the soundtrack to a time in my life where i was at a bit of a crossroads and a time in my life where I came out of the cross, crossroads stronger, better. And, uh, you know, 20 years on, when I need a boost, when I need a push, an adrenaline rush, I play this album, particularly in the summertime. And um, let's face it, the, uh, <laughs> there's gonna be a, this is a strange summer that we're about to enter, uh, given all that's going on. And I foresee myself listening to this album quite often. Wow. I can see, I can see why you have such a personal connection to this now. Um, yeah, it goes deep. I told you, man. This, this, this goes very deep. Uh, we remaining moment. Do you think it's a perfect album? I actually do. I, yeah. yeah. So do I. I mean, I, you know, is it? That's not to say that it's better than other albums that we've done that we've said are not perfect. But I, I wouldn't change anything about this album. Neither would I. It. it to me, it is perfect. And I really don't think I can say anything more than that. And uh, what I do want to say, though, is to everyone listening, the, the seven people who do, you can laugh at us all you want for our affinity for this album. You could think we're nuts. Um, do yourselves a favor because you have a lot of free time on your hands. Listen, to maybe you've been brainwashed, too, by New Radicals. Chris, any, any final thoughts? Um. Yeah, really give it a listen. I mean, it's one that I think once you put it on, you're not going to take it off. It's one you can listen straight through the whole thing. Absolutely. And, and, and you'll probably want to hit the repeat mm-hmm. button oh, or, you know, shuffle it again on Spotify or however the hell you listen to music these days. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, that's uh, I think that's all the time we have, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Tune in next week when we tackle. Oh, I think I don't want to give away the ending, but uh, <laughs> next week's will be pretty interesting as well. We do until then. Totally crossed out. We are doing crisscross. <laughs> totally crossed out. Yeah. So do yourself a favor, Chris, and start listening to that. Um, the Daddy Mac will make you jump. Jump. <laughs> On that note, you have a, a great rest of the weekend, John. You as well. Take care.